Hi, everyone, and welcome to 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. The two Golden Age radio shows, Escape and Suspense, were radio's leading anthology series of high adventure and drama, with Escape airing on CBS Radio from July 7, 1947 to September 25, 1954, and Suspense continued to 1962. These two shows presented great American-made radio drama, which became the foundation for TV. Radio, as you know, is purely acoustic, with no visual component, and it relied on great scriptwriters and actors to enable the listeners to imagine the characters and the story. It was high drama, great acting, and terrific stories. As one of the shows say, all designed for you from the four walls of today. Here we offer the very best of escape and suspense. We hope you enjoy this week's presentation. And if you do, send us a kind review for 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. And now, our two stories. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers bring you Mr. Jeff Chandler in a story taken from life. Tonight's presentation of... Suspense. Tonight... Autolite presents The Case Against Lou Dock, a factual document concerning the San Francisco Tong Wars, starring Mr. Jeff Chandler. Hello, Harlow. Hi, Hap. How's it going? Oh, horrible. If you mean my car, it wastes gas, it's tough to start. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Well, why don't you go straight, Hap? Straight, Harlow? Sure, straight to your nearest Autolite spark plug dealer for a spark plug checkup. You see, Hap, the spark plugs are the heart of your car's ignition system, and they've got to be right. Now, he's got the exclusive Autolite plug check indicator that tells in an instant whether your spark plugs are right for your style of driving. Well, suppose my plugs only need cleaning. Why, Hap, your Autolite spark plug dealer has the specialized equipment to do the job properly. And if replacements are needed, he'll recommend ignition-engineered Autolite spark plugs, resistor or standard type, to give you smoother performance, quick starts, and gas savings. So, friends, see your neighborhood Autolite spark plug dealer soon. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, with the case against Lou Dock and the performance of Mr. Jeff Chandler, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. Take your men, go up to the other end of the alleyway. Plant them back in the doorway. It's plenty dark, they won't be seen. I'll do the same done at this end. The signal to move will be a sharp blast of the whistle. You got that? Right. All right, man, you heard the captain. Where's the DA? Over there. Oh, yeah. Well, looks like I'm right on time. Oh, oh, Glasgow, I'm glad you got here. This must be an important one. Looks like the whole San Francisco police force is here. It's a big one, believe me. Oh, you know Captain of Detectives Wilburn? Yeah, yeah, we've met and this is Lieutenant Sonjak. I'm glad to meet you. Glasgow? The men all have their instructions, D.A. Good. Then take your positions. Okay, men. Let's go. All right, Thompson. Yeah. You want to come along with me, Glasgow? Our stakeout's down about midway in the alley. All right, with you. It's a laundry. There's a vacant storeroom upstairs. We can watch it from up there. The uh, message you left for me back at the newspaper office wasn't too explicit, Mr. D.A. Well, tonight's the night we've been waiting for. Uh, more murder and mayhem. Hmm, perhaps. Look, you've arrested hundreds of Chinese before all members of some tongue. What good did it do? Well, none. Just arresting the hatchet man isn't the answer. No, sir. Well, this is it. Smells empty. The Chinese laundryman who ran this shop was hacked to death in the last tong battle they held along here. Come along. It's up those stairs. Who's having it out tonight? The Hop Ying Tong and the On Sings. Well? Come Ji Ho and Lu Doc. Yeah, the two most popular and powerful Tong leaders. I agree with you as far as Come Ji Ho is concerned, but as for Lu Doc... I'm more determined than ever to get him. This man lives a double life, Glasgow. By day, a sweet, smiling, and innocent silk merchant. By night, a ruthless murder of his countrymen. He won't stop the Tongs by convicting Lu Doc. 
Well, we'll be able to see everything from this window. Clear night. Yeah. A million stars in the sky. We stood next to the open window above the laundry shop, fearless district attorney Red Muchia and I, and we waited. From the window, we could see down into the dimly lit street called Sporford Alley. A narrow street lined on either side with butcher markets, curio shops, tea parlors, and more laundries. And some of those shops, fronts for hidden gambling dens. Sultry, air-oppressed opium dens. Lou Doc, the man the DA accused of being the most notorious tongue leader in San Francisco, was all of that. But he was more. Lou Doc was my friend. He was a man of principles. Born in San Francisco and wanting to adapt himself to the ways of his Western brothers, he'd learned to speak, read, and write a pronounced English. He'd educated himself in the thoughts and ideas of the Western world. I knew Lou Doc. I had my doubts that he was going to show up in Sporford Alley tonight. Cigarette, Glasgow? Yeah, thanks. What makes you so sure Lou Doc and Kum Ji Ho are going to show tonight? They're bitter enemies. When Kum Ji Ho learned that Lou Doc's brother was in love with one of his favorite sing-song girls, he, he challenged the Hop Yings. What's the girl's name? Otoy. She's a dancer at the Golden Lamp. Oh? On surface, the incident is just a spark to ignite the flame, Glasgow. Uh, you know that as well as I do. The real battle is being fought for supremacy. Yeah. Almost 12. Any minute now. We didn't have long to wait. Because at exactly 12 o'clock, a loud, shrill cry rang out at one end of Sporford Alley. And at the other end of the alleyway, the reply. And another full-scale tongue war began. There were at least 50 black-suited Chinese with their plates shoved under dark slouched hats that met head-on in the alley. Their hatches reflected the moonlight as they crashed open enemy heads and long, gleaming daggers found their marks in soft, easy flesh. And as the police moved in, they scattered in every direction, stumbling over the dead and wounded. But the police were efficient. They'd hold up both ends of the alley, and it looked like they'd rounded up every one of the Buhau Doi that was alive. The district attorney paced the floor of the storeroom, his hands nervously twisting behind him as he waited for his captain of detectives to report to him. And then we heard heavy steps coming up the stairs. In a few moments, three men appeared at the head of the landing. Captain Wilburn, his lieutenant Sanjak, and a smiling, dark-haired Chinese with his hands tied behind him. The A. Oh, where's the other one? He, uh, he disappeared. What do you mean he disappeared? I don't know, D.A. He was in mixing it up with the rest of them. I know, I saw him. But after we had the rest of them rounded up, I couldn't find him. How did you know it was Lou Doc, Captain? The big head. I recognize his big head. Oh, you can't accuse a Bring man because... Bring that uh, other one over here. Okay. You, move. This is the one they call Kum Ji Ho. I know why you started this one, Kum Ji Ho. Oh, yes. How did Lou Doc manage to escape? Oh, yes. Lou Doc. Very fine silk merchant, yes. Don't stall with me. It'll go a lot easier on you. You know you're not going to get this man to talk. We'll see about that. Now, I want the names of every Boo Hao Doi that fought in the alley tonight. Chang, Talo, Diyang. What was that? I think he said he wants his lawyer before he speaks another word. Correct. A lawyer? Yes. Thank you. Well, I never heard it of any... Looks like tonight wasn't the night you thought it was going to be, D.A., I'm afraid your net results are zero. District Attorney Muchia wasn't going to get Kum Ji Ho to inform on Lou Doc, no matter how hard he tried. For a Tong member to testify or inform on another, even your most hated enemy, which was a rival Tong, was certain death. And in most cases, members of your own tongue would carry out the death sentence. In the wild confusion of that battle, it would have been impossible to tell whether Lou Doc had taken part in it. Captain of Detectives sworn he'd seen him, 
I wanted to know for sure, so the following morning I went to his house of business. A little old Chinese sitting behind the counter didn't even glance up at me as I entered. I walked over to the door of Lou's office and knocked. A voice yelled, enter in Chinese, and I did. I opened the door. Seated behind a bleached rattan desk sat the man with his big head, rocking back and forth. Lou Duck. Hello, Dan. It is nice to see you again. It's nice to see you. Please to sit. I was just about to serve tea. Thanks. Oh, I beg your pardon. This Dan is my beloved brother, Tommy. Mr. Dan Glasgow of San Francisco Tribune. How do you do, Mr. Glasgow? Hello, Tommy. You take tea with lemon, I believe. Right. I am most happy of this surprise visit, then. Ah, here you are. Thanks. Ah, most delicious. There were seven men killed in last night's Tong Walu dock. Tell me, Dan, do you prefer the Chinese or Indian tea? I said seven men were killed in last night's Tong battle. Tommy. What's the matter? My words too strong for your brother's sensitive ears? Then, if you were not a true friend, I would easily kill you with my own hand for such remark. I'm sorry, Lieutenant. You, as I, believe in righteous principles. It was upon this discovery that I grow very fond of you. I've honored our friendship. In the ways of your Western world are many things that my people do not understand. Among my people are certain things which the Occidental does not understand. But cold-blooded murder is not a way that either world should have to understand. True. But I have read in the Western world books, I read of organization called California Vigilance Committee. Oh, look, that committee is to protect the innocent from the guilty. Yes, no argument. But for the protection. In Hap Ying Tong is protection for my people. Now comes time when most beloved brother falls in love with a sing-song girl named Atoy. He wishes to marry with her. She returns this love. It must be so. And, and so, in order to bring about this marriage, hundreds of men may lose their lives. If it is as the gods design. Yes. There's nothing that I can say that can convince you to settle the whole thing peaceably? In China, perhaps by tribunal, but in San Francisco, then, it is not probable. We must settle this difference by other means. Oh, and I'm sorry, Lou Duck. I'm sorry for your people. There is no one upon whose heart this sorrow hangs heavier than mine. And with that, Lou Duck rose up from his chair, stood staring at me for a moment through tear-filled eyes. Then he turned and strode majestically out of the room, his large head bent as if in prayer. In the weeks that followed, for some unknown reason or other, the Tong Wars slowed down to practically a standstill. It had been only a couple of hatchet murders in two months. Oh, it seemed almost too good to be true. And then, on January 4th, I received a phone call from the DA's office about four in the afternoon. His voice had a smile in it. Well, it took someone else to do it, Glasgow, but it was done. What was done? About an hour ago in Ross Alley, two Tong men shot a man and then hacked his face to ribbons with their hatchets. When Captain Wilburn got down there, he identified the man. Who was it? The man we've been after. Your good friend, Lou Dock. Autolite is bringing you Mr. Jeff Chandler in The Case Against Lou Dock. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Say, Harlow, just what does ignition engineered mean? Well, Hap, it means that Autolite spark plugs are tops in quality and performance. That's because they're designed by the same Autolite engineers who designed the coil, distributor, and all the other important parts that make up complete ignition systems used as original equipment on many leading makes of our finest cars, trucks, and tractors. Well, that's a pretty good reason to use them, Harlow. It's the best, Hap. 
So have your Autolite spark plug dealer replace worn-out spark plugs with either standard or resistor-type Autolite spark plugs for smoother performance, quick starts, and gas savings. They just don't come any better than Autolite. Autolite spark plug dealers offer the best spark plug service money can buy, too, Harlow. Right you are, Hap. So, friends, to quickly learn his address, call Western Union by number and ask for Operator 25. She'll gladly tell you the location of your nearest Autolite spark plug dealer. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage, Mr. Jeff Chandler, in Elliot Lewis's production of The Case Against Lou Doc, a dramatic report well calculated to keep you in suspense. Lou Dock had been my friend, and the realization of what an impact his death would have on his following hit me. It was to be a great loss for them. I hung up the phone and decided to go down to the police station. When I got there, the desk sergeant lifted a tired finger and told me that Captain Wilburn was back in the morgue with Lieutenant Sonjak. Come in, Glasgow. The DA said you might be down. So you... Finally got Lou Doc. Yeah, we didn't. It was a couple of rival Tongmen that did the job. Did you pick him up? Nope. Uh, got away. Want to take a look at him? Pretty bloody. Yeah. Over here. All right, Sanjay. Turn down the sheet. Oh, no. See what I mean when I say bloody? His face. His own mother wouldn't recognize how do you know it's Lou Doc? By the head. Take a look at the head, what's left of it. Doc had a big head, almost out of proportion to the rest of his body. That's how I know it's him. But still, look, I... Glasgow, the DA's told me how you feel about this guy. I don't want any trouble from you. This man is Lou Doc. I positively identify him as the notorious tongue leader of the Hop Yings. Do you care to challenge that statement? Mm, no. No, of course not. Then you will admit this is Lou Doc. Sure, Captain, I admit it. That's Lou Doc. I admitted it because the thought suddenly occurred to me that here was the opportunity I'd been waiting for. The dead man lying on the slab in the police morgue was not Lou Doc. The police had no positive identification as to who the man was, but it looked like a perfect way to ease the pressure that was being brought to bear on them. Captain Wilburn knew that faceless man was not Lou Doc as well as I did. The following morning, I went to the business house of Lou Doc, the silk merchant. Just as I'd expected, the name on the door had been changed. Next door was a gambling parlor. I gave the password at the door and was admitted. I sat down at one of the fantan tables and began playing. I hadn't been playing long when I suddenly felt the presence of someone familiar standing next to me. Three. Sheep. Hello, Lou Doc. Hello, Dan. Happy to meet with you. Is there somewhere we can talk? Come. Owner of this establishment is a good friend of mine. We shall use his office. All right, you lead the way. Come. In here. Now, we are alone. <laughs> you're still hale and hearty, even though you're dead. That is not good joke. I take it you read the morning papers. Oh, yes. In time to change the name on your place of business. You were pleased to see elimination of Ludak, weren't you, my friend? You want the truth? Our most precious bond, Dan. Yes, Ludak, I was, because now it's no longer necessary for you to work with any tongue. It surprises me that you, of all persons I respect, should think that way. There's great work yet to be done among my people. Forget the work, Lou. It's a battle that won't be won until every tongue is disbanded. And if I leave, what then? Kumjiho and his tongue take over leadership in San Francisco? The terror that exists now will seem, my friend, a mere particle? Well, what about the police? The police are satisfied. You know that. The notoriety and publicity that have gone before will no longer continue to follow me. 
The Hafyings will continue to exist and you still behind them. Yes, my friend, to make decisions. I will set up puppet leader. But their rival, Kumji Ho, will always know that still sitting on the throne of the Hopyings is Ludak, the man he fears. I'm a newspaper man. I have to print the truth. You know that. Yes, my friend, I know. I also know something else. Yeah? I also know Dan Glasgow. You are a true friend of Ludak. right. I knew the fight within myself had begun. To know that he was still alive and yet never to print that fact. Because in doing so, I'd have to betray his friendship. A windy night in February, I was working late in the office. It was about eight o'clock when one of the reporters came in and told me that Tommy Yushu, Lou Doc's brother, had been trapped in the cafe of his dancer girlfriend, Artoy. I rushed down to Dagger Alley. There wasn't a soul in sight. I started to walk. It was cold and heavy wind was blowing, but my hands were soaking wet with perspiration as I made my way up the cobblestone walk to the golden lamp. I imagined a hundred eyes staring at me from dark doorways. Then I was in front of the cafe. I walked up to the door. It was bolted. Tommy. Tommy, you shoo. It's me, the newspaper man, Dan Glasgow. Let me in. Let me in, Tommy. Hurry, hurry. Thanks. What are you doing here? Word leaked out the Onsings had you hold up here. They sure do. You took an awful chance coming up that alleyway. Well, why don't you risk your neck here for coming here? Our toy, Mr. Glasgow. Oh, I see. We planned to leave tonight. Secretly. Somehow they learned of our plans. It was our toy's father who betrayed us. Her father? Please, Tommy. My father was threatened. There was nothing he could do. I'm willing to die with Tommy. Does Lou Doc know you're here? No. Then call him. Tell him to call the police. You have talked with my brother, Mr. Glasgow. You know he would never do that. But you'll never get out of here alive. Then it must be so. Oh, I, I don't understand it. You'd be willing to commit suicide because of some silly, superstitious, and clannish idea that, that the only way to deal out justice is through force. Well, you and your brother and everybody who thinks that way, Tommy, are wrong. Maybe the idea of tongues originally were good ideas, but, but the goodness has gone out of them. I'm going to call the police. One moment, Mr. Glasgow. I'm sorry, but I cannot allow you to do that. All right, Tommy, you can put away the gun. I won't call him. Can I call your brother? Perhaps that is best. Thanks. Tommy gave me a number to call. Lou Doc answered the phone himself. His voice remained strangely calm when I told him what the situation was. He told me he was coming right down, warned me to stay in the cafe. Then I hung up. The three of us, Tommy Yushu, the sing-song girl, Art Toy, and myself, sat down and waited. Twenty minutes later, I heard a car screech to a halt down at the end of Dagger Alley. I opened one of the small windows, stuck my head out, and looked down the narrow street. A long, black car was parked at the curb. Then the car door opened, and Lou Doc stepped out, alone. And he began his long walk up the cobblestones to the cafe. He walked slowly, staring straight ahead, his body firm, rigid, in one position. It was just the movement of his legs. Wearing a long black coat, he looked like a giant as he took long strides, holding his oversized head high. Lou! Hello, Doc. You better get inside. There must be at least 25 of them out there. I'm all right. Tell Tommy to come out. But, Lou, you, you don't have a chance. They won't attack me. They haven't the nerve. Tell Tommy to come up. Tommy, he wants you to go with him. Tommy. I've got to go, Artoy. But I'll be back with you. Do not fear, my beloved Tell him to one. hurry, Doc. Tommy. I'm going. Hello, my brother. It and you. Good to see you. Goodbye, Doc. 
I see you soon again. Soon, Udak. The two of them began their long walk back to the end of Dagger Alley. Lou Doc's hand closed tightly around his brother's arm, walking slowly but steadily toward the black car. They weren't ten feet from it when from out of one of the dark doorways a figure jumped into view. It was Kum Ji Ho. Kum Ji Ho let go with four wild shots. Lou Doc whirled, covering his brother at the same time whipping out a gun and firing. Tommy opened the door of the car, got in and started it up. Then Lou Doc fell to his knees, still firing. Tommy gunned the car away. Lou Doc pitched forward on his face, emptying his gun. Come, Ji Ho dropped to the pavement, clawing at his bloody face. He twitched for just a moment. And then he lay still. When I got to Lou Doc, he was still alive, but bleeding badly. He looked up at me. Much pain, my friend. Much Pain. There'll be an ambulance any minute now, Lou. Just, just hold on. This is not death I prayed my ancestors to give me, Dan. I die lying on wet pavement in dark alley at night. My wounds bleed freely. <laughs> Lou, you, you're not going to die, Lou. Uh, most... Precious bond, truth in our friendship. Promise me, promise as you hold me in your arms, my friend, that in stories that will be written, in one of them, someone will write, someone will write that we need. Beneath the cloak of the legend of his notorious reputation, there existed a man who believed in the principles of righteousness for all his fellow men. Who is there who can sit in judgment and proclaim that there was any case but goodness against the man named Lou Duck. Suspense. Presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. Jeff Chandler. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for Autolite, world's largest independent manufacturer of automotive electrical equipment. During the early months of 1952, the Autolite family will join together in saluting the leading car manufacturers who install Autolite products as original equipment right on their assembly lines. Our Autolite family is made up of the nearly 30,000 men and women in 28 great Autolite plants from coast to coast, and in still other Autolite plants in many foreign countries. Our family also includes more than 18,000 people who have invested a portion of their savings in Autolite, as well as 96,000 Autolite distributors and dealers in the United States and thousands more in Canada and throughout the world. The Autolite family will have the privilege of saluting the Plymouth Division of Chrysler Corporation on the next Suspense television program. If you live in a television area, check the day and time of Suspense on television so that you won't miss this program. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. Next week, our star will be the first lady of suspense, Miss Agnes Moorhead, as Lizzie Borden, in a dramatization of the most famous unsolved American murder mystery, a true story we call The Fall River Tragedy. In weeks to come, we shall also present Mr. Clifton Webb, Mr. Charles Boyer, and Mr. J. Carroll Nash, all on Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. 
The Case Against Lou Doc was written for Suspense by Richard George Pettuccini. In tonight's story, William Conrad was heard as Lou Doc and Joseph Kearns as Muchil. Featured in the cast were Lillian Bioff, Sam Edwards, Herb Butterfield, Byron Kane, and Jack Crucian. Jeff Chandler can now be seen in The Flame of Araby, a universal international Technicolor production co-starring Maureen O'Hara. And remember next week, the first lady of suspense, Miss Agnes Moorhead, as Lizzie Borden in The Fall River Tragedy. This is the CBS Radio Network. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers bring you the brilliant young motion picture star, Mr. Richard Basehart, in tonight's presentation of... Suspense. Tonight, Autolite presents the story of a man who found it necessary to commit the perfect crime. A tale we call The Perfectionist, starring Mr. Richard Basehart. Hip, hip, hooray! Hip, hip, hooray! Hey, Harlow, why the cheers? For the team, Hap. What team, Harlow? Why, the team under your car's hood. The Autolite Electrical System, the family team of precision-made units, including the generator, battery, coil, distributor, starting motor, and all the other important parts of the complete Autolite Electrical System used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of our finest cars, trucks, and tractors. Does this team play full-time, Harlow? It works full-time, Hap. Every time you press the starting switch, every second your engine is running, and whenever you use your horn, lights, or radio. That Autolite electrical system is a real winner, eh, Harlow? You bet, Hap. With all units related by Autolite engineering design and manufacturing skill to give you the smoothest performance money can buy. So, friends, when your Autolite-equipped car needs replacement parts, take a tip from me and insist on Autolite original factory parts. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, with The Perfectionist and the performance of Mr. Richard Basehart, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. There. It's all written. I couldn't confess it verbally to these police. They're stupid men. Men who discovered nothing about the murder through their own efforts. It was a mishap, a blunder, which revealed me. I know. I killed him. When it comes to murder, few know it as I do. Few could have planned as I planned. Few could have put the body in such a trunk as I designed. A perfect trunk for transporting the body. Perfect. I'm a perfectionist. And that is my failing. I have been, in my perfection, destroyed by imperfect men. The man I killed, he was old. Old enough to be my father. I had planned each step and shipped his body in the trunk to a city only 90 miles away from the scene of the murder. Only 90 miles. And it was the fourth remaining step of a calculation in which each move had the precision of a mathematical equation. Your check, please. Here you are. It's a medium-sized trunk. Now, we go by the numbers. It was train 91 out of Carlton. We arrived 30 minutes late at 7.21 a.m. precisely. <laughs> you should have been a train man. You're better than the dispatchers. Gee, uh, I'm sorry, mister, but I think we sent your trunk out by mistake. You... what? Oh, we'll get it back. It happens sometimes. You idiot. You stupid idiot. Now, wait a second. I don't have to take... Yes, yes. You're quite right. And I apologize. When was it delivered? Yesterday. Has, uh, has anyone phoned about it? Has anyone called? Complaining of the error? No. Perhaps they don't realize they have the wrong trunk. Perhaps they haven't opened it yet. Do you think that's possible? 
You think they might not have called because the trunk is still closed? It's the only reason. People really beef when they get the wrong trunk. <laughs> they scream like wounded eagles. Well, give me their name and address. Oh, I'll look it up in the book. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, here, here it is. Name's Granick. Yes, thank you. Oh, ain't you going to write it down? I don't have to write it down. Oh, well, see you. Clerk, let me see that trunk. What? I want to see the trunk. I, I want to be sure it's not mine. But the claim check's wrong. Yes, and perhaps that's where the mistake lies, in the claim check. Okay, okay. So much nonsense about a lousy trunk. Yeah, it's right here. Come on in here and look. Yes. This is my trunk. You sure? You have skeleton keys. Open it. Ah, if it's your trunk, you got a key. I, I lost my key. Uh, here's, uh, here's ten dollars. Open it. Okay. That is my trunk. The drafting equipment, surveying instruments, uh, they're mine. The tags must have been mixed up. If you want proof, why haven't they phoned? This is my trunk. This one, not the other one. I hated that clerk. I hate anyone I have to depend on. And I had to depend on him. I had to ask him to help me when I know you can never trust anyone's help, ever. But I had to discover who the other people were, and their trunk would tell me. I had to know their secret before they found out mine. Take their trunk, not to exchange it with mine. They might doubt me, ask me to open it. No, I had to get my trunk my own way and dispose of the body before anyone missed the man I had killed. Their name was Granick, and some letters in their trunk told me he had been a cripple for three years, paralyzed in the waist down. An accident, a fall. I knew more than that, much more. I knew he'd just come out of a rehabilitation hospital. But did I know enough to get my trunk without their knowing who I really was or knowing the trunk was gone? They would know nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing of me, but I would know about them. Doesn't it give you a sense of power to know someone else's secret without their knowing any of yours? How do you do? Mrs. Granny? Yes. My name is Christensen. Is your husband around? My husband is in the living room. I know. You're going to say he can't come to the door. I know of his accident. What did you say your name was? Christensen. Chris. I know your husband has a great problem. He must. Anyone handicapped like that must have. You have no right to say anything like that. No, no. Uh, didn't they call you from the office? Didn't they tell you I was coming here? It's just If they didn't call you, then you must listen to me. It's to your benefit to listen before I see him. Betty! In a minute, dear. See, we're a non-profit organization devoted solely to evaluating the attitudes of the cripple. How they're functioning. How much help they need. How dependent they are on others. On their loved ones. You know what I mean, Mrs. Granny? Surely you must know how terribly dependent such victims become with an inability to help themselves. A refusal. Uh, or rather, a refusal to see what they're doing to the lives of their loved ones. Isn't that so, Mrs. Granick? Do you... Do you want me to tell him who you are? You can tell him I'm from the hospital. A routine interview checkup. A follow-through checkup. Come in, Mr. Christensen. Two hours had been lost, but once more I began to feel better. Control of the whole situation was coming back into my hands. Once more, I knew I could succeed. I could get the trunk and dispose of the body, as I'd planned to do it, not as circumstance dictated. And because I had control again, I was able to listen to this wasting hulk of a man, this William Granick, as he regaled me with his memories. But the trunk, where was the trunk? I suppose everyone goes through this. Maybe I've taken longer to recuperate. Why is that? 
That's because of your active life, Mr. Granick. Your previous activity was outdoors. Always. Civil engineering isn't for sissies. Oh, no, it's, it's for men, for real men. Building bridges and roads, that's for doers. You were a doer. Was a doer. Was. Bastards. And will be again. Never again. You had a hobby? Yeah, when I worked at the hospital. Dull and stupid. He still has his drafting equipment. We kept that. Yes, that would be good. Work hypothetical engineering problems. I used to do that. I was going to be an engineer. For amusement, I used to pose hypothetical problems for myself and work them out. Really? Where'd you study? Oh, back east, a long time ago. It couldn't be too long. <laughs> it's very long. But you're a young man. You, about your civil engineering. The drafting equipment, uh, surveying instrument. I lost interest. Can't do anything with it. I can't sit indoors and pretend it's outdoors. Well, where is the equipment? Around. You know very well where it is, Bill. We put it in storage back home where we used to live. We took it out of storage, Mr. Christensen, and had it shipped here. Is it in a packing crate? No. Well, then what? What? What is it in? Well, what difference does it make? In case I could help to get it for you. A woman alone can't do it. Such equipment is heavy. She isn't alone. I'm here. Yes, darling. Yes, you are. You are here, and you do help me. It's in a trunk, an old trunk. And, uh, where is this old trunk? In the closet, but I don't want to see it. I had a man who delivered it put it there in the closet. I'm through with it. And you haven't opened the trunk? You haven't opened it for uh, a long time? In a way, that's better. It's raining. What? It started to rain. Are you, uh... Maybe it's presumptuous, but not many people come over these days, but, uh... Are you busy for supper? Why, no. No, I'm not. I'd be delighted. I was exhilarated. The excitement of getting my trunk. The thrill of my long battle almost won. Almost over. Ah, it's important to be exact. Only the exact survive. I felt as if I could do anything that night. Anything I wanted to. All the skills I'd developed over the years waiting, waiting for them to go to bed, waiting to get to the trunk, I used one of those skills. I made a pencil drawing of the man. All right, turn your head a bit this way. I guess. There. there that's it. Uh. No, it's not right. We'll start over. It's about the tenth time. I'm going to do this in oils, ultimately. It must be right. Exactly right. Yeah, maybe in engineering. You have to be that accurate or a bridge would collapse if we went off a fraction. But in this? In Europe, uh, uh, I studied in Europe. I was told I had a great talent, a truly great talent. Correggio, you ever heard of him? He's a great teacher. He told me I'd never make a living at it because I was too demanding of myself. That's not good to be too demanding. Expect too much of yourself. It's, it's wrong. It's gone. Once you decide to abandon a talent, never turn back. My husband is going to turn back. Of course, but that's different. I mean, an artist, when he doesn't feel greatness in one field, should go on to another. And an engineer? I'm sure you were a fine engineer. Yeah. That was one of the best. He's won awards. Uh, Mr. Christensen? Would, would you like to see him? I, uh, why, yes. They're in the trunk, honey. I'll show you. No. Please, don't bother yourself now. We'll have, uh, we'll have lots of time to talk. Lots of other conversations. Many. Many. Yeah, I, I guess it would be kind of boasting. Oh, it wouldn't be. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you've done. No, no, no. Never mind, Betty. Oh, excuse me. It's awfully late. You know, Mr. Christensen, you... You've been kind of good for me. Brandon. How's that? Oh, uh, Brandon. Brandon Christensen's my first name. Oh. I'm glad I've helped you. But how? Well, by showing me that we shouldn't hold on to something we can no longer do. But you can, darling. You can. No, I'm a cripple. I can't. And what would you propose as a solution? Maybe I ought to start with those drafting instruments. Start? 
How? Maybe sell them. Maybe get them out of the trunk tomorrow morning and sell them. Yeah. Well, I better get to bed. Good night, Mr. Christensen. See him out, Betty. I can manage the crutches. Would you, uh, would you mind if I finished filling in my report here? No, certainly not. Go right ahead. Thank you. I'll uh, see myself to the door, Mrs. Gunnick. Well, good night, Mr. Christensen. Yes. Good night. Now, wait. Wait for them to sleep. Autolite is bringing you Mr. Richard Basehart in The Perfectionist. In tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. I'm showing you how the Autolite electrical system in your Autolite-equipped car provides the power for starting the engine, sounding the horn, and playing the radio. And the lights and heater, too, eh, Harlow? Right, Hap, as well as the power that's so important every second your engine is running. They're all powered by the Autolite electrical system, in which every unit and component part are related by Autolite engineering design and manufacturing skill to give you the finest performance money can buy. The electrical system is mighty important to us car owners, Harlow. And that's why you should treat your car's electrical system to a periodic checkup at your authorized Autolite service station or the dealer who services your make of car. You can quickly locate your nearest authorized Autolite service station in the classified section of the phone directory. Or call Western Union by number and ask for Operator 25. She'll quickly tell you the name of your nearest authorized Autolite service station. And remember, from bumper to tail light, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Richard Basehart in Elliot Lewis's production of The Perfectionist, a tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. I waited until the house was silent, motionless, staring, listening. There, in the open closet, in the trunk, was the body. My heart started to pound. I advanced toward it in the dark. I felt wonderful. Here, so near completion. Here, in the dark. In a moment, I would have it open. In a moment. She! She came into the room and turned on the light. I slammed the lock back and whirled to face her. What do you want, Mr. Christensen? Uh, I... I only wanted to... I, you had the key to that trunk, didn't you? I... I wanted to tell you something. Yes? Don't... Don't press me. Don't demand. I'll wait. Well? It's... It isn't easy. It isn't easy. It's very difficult to admit an error. A lie, not an error. No, no, no not a lie. Uh, yes, it's uh, a lie. You're not from the hospital. You were never near the hospital my husband was in. How did you know? How did you find out about us? Who are you? Oh, can you forgive me? Listen, don't judge before you listen. What's your name? And don't come any closer. I have this poker. I won't be threatened. I won't. I mean you no harm. My real name is Brandon, Carl Brandon. I mean you no harm at all. Please believe me. Please. Please. Why did you come here? I'm... I'm a student. Yes, I, I was in the army and wounded. I had wonderful dreams and plans about what I'd do after I got out. 
wonderful dreams. My father's a rich man. He's old and rich. But I couldn't take anything from him after the war. And a pension isn't enough. But I couldn't take anything from him anymore. He gave me money and he told me what to do all the time. Why did you come here? I obtained a part-time job in the hospital to support myself. I did work there, you see. But in their storage room. And I, I heard about the trunk your husband had. With his I... drafting equipment in it? Yes, yes. The, the valuable equipment. I knew I could steal it and sell the things. I, I knew they were valuable. I know about things like that. I, I can tell you the cost of each instrument. Didn't the fact that my husband and I couldn't afford to buy new ones affect you any? Yes, yes, that, that's what I'm trying to say. Yes, I, I admitted everything. Why do you keep accusing me? I admitted everything and I ask your forgiveness. Yes, I was wrong. What more can I do? What more do you want me to do? To leave. I turned to my father and say that I was wrong. I made a mistake. That he was right. Give me money. Tell me what to do. Order my life. Live my life. Show me my failings. Show me where I'm, I'm not as strong as he is, as bright as he is, as, as strong as... as strong... No, wait. Don't leave. What? Stay a while. Just a minute. Sit down, Mr. Brandon. Go on. That's it. The Mr. Brandon sounds wrong. Mind if I call you Carl, isn't it? Yes, Carl. Carl Brandon. It's a nice sounding name. Uh, Betty, make some coffee, will you, honey? Coffee? Yeah. How do you like it, Carl? Just plain black coffee. The way they drink it in the army, huh? The army? Oh, yes, yes, always. I was in myself. I know what it's like to come out and be hit with civilian life. It isn't a problem. There's nothing one cannot work out if one has the willpower and the self-discipline. No, I couldn't have. Not without Betty. Takes a woman or a friend or... Just somebody who cares. It takes someone to help. I don't need any help, Mr. Grenick. Bill. Just call me Bill. Mr. Grenick, I don't need any help. I'm fully capable of solving my own problems without help, without advice. We all need help sometimes. None of us can live without it. You're bitter. I, I can understand it. I, I've felt it. But you have to listen to other people sometimes. Now, why don't you try your homey little platitudes on yourself? Did they do you any good in that wheelchair? If they made you bounding with hope and ambition? Are you a better person now than you were before you were paralyzed? Don't preach to me! You'd better leave right now. Now! No, 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 Betty. You have to listen. Maybe he's right, too. Maybe he can see my problem clearly the way I can see his. I... I can't stand waiting. Waiting sometimes makes me angry. I'm sorry. Sure. Sure, I understand. And even though I'm not too much older than you, Carl, I, I've seen an awful lot. I've been around a lot. And that's why, even though we might not meet again, I, I'd like to talk to you straight, like a member of your own family would. I don't need instruction. It's advice. And I don't need advice. We all need it sometimes, Carl. His advice was just like yours, to do things the way he did them. But letting me know that I could never do the things the way he did them. That I was incompetent and he was better. Always better. I don't mean that. Not that way. Well, I did something better. Braver. Something more daring. More skilled than he'd ever dreamed of doing. Do you understand? I've accomplished what he could never do. What do you mean? What are you trying to say? That you can keep your rotten advice to yourself. That you're nothing but a cripple. You're the cripple. Not my husband. You're the cripple in your head. Only his legs are Betty. gone, but... All right, Carl. What is it that you've done that's so great? Get up. Go ahead of me. I'll show you. Do as I say now. Right now. I knew then. I knew I'd have to kill them. And perhaps they knew. A woman with a cripple for a husband. Perhaps they knew they had to be killed because... Because... I don't know why. I knew then, but I can't remember now. I knew more and more as they went fearfully toward the closet. 
afraid to make a move to attack me, afraid because he was a cripple and she was powerless. And I opened the closet door. My excitement was so great, I, I hardly remember each step. I'm not lying, I barely remember. I turned the key in the lock. Each move was precise, not a motion wasted, not one action misplaced. For this was my victory against everything that stood in my way. Not to argue, not to discuss, but to kill. To kill perfectly, quickly. Kill what stands in my way. Kill the Granix. Kill the man in the trunk. The man who looked like my father. And I swung it wide. It will do no good. It will not help. The time is past. Why not me first, Carl? You afraid of me? Afraid of a cripple? Why didn't I think? Why didn't I calculate? Why, for the first time in my life, an act of passion, without thinking, I leaped at him. Like an animal, like a beast. <laughs> Have you ever fought a man whose legs are useless? Have you ever felt the arm of a man who uses his arms to sit and go and move and rise? They're steel. They went to my throat and I struggled in a dream. I can even feel them now. This wasn't the way. Where was my triumph? My victory? Where was my glory? Are you afraid of me? Please. Please. You're afraid of a cripple? Perfect man? Stop. Please. Stop. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. Bill? I call the police first, Betty. Then come back and help me up. Suspense. Presented by Autolite, tonight's star, Mr. Richard Basehart. This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for Autolite, world's largest independent manufacturer of automotive electrical equipment. Autolite is proud to serve the greatest names in the industry. That's why, during the early months of 52, the Autolite family will join together in saluting the leading car manufacturers who install Autolite products as original equipment. Our Autolite family is made up of the nearly 30,000 men and women in 28 great Autolite plants from coast to coast. Our family also includes more than 18,000 people who have invested a portion of their savings in Autolite, as well as 96,000 Autolite distributors and dealers in the United States and thousands more in Canada and throughout the world. Our Autolite family will salute the Dodge Division of Chrysler Corporation on the next Autolite Suspense television program. Check the day and time of suspense on television so that you will be sure to see this program. And be with us next week for another thrilling suspense program on radio. Next week on Suspense, our star will be Mr. Joseph Cotton, who will portray a man without emotion, the mechanical man in a tale we call Carnival. In weeks to come, we shall also present Mr. J. Carroll Nash, Mr. James Mason, and Miss Barbara Stanwyck, all on Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morrowick and conducted by Lud Gluskin. The Perfectionist was written for Suspense by Arthur Ross. In tonight's cast, Charlotte Lawrence was Betty Granick, William Conrad was Bill Granick, and Joseph Kearns was the attendant. Tonight's appearance is made possible through permission of 20th Century Fox. Mr. Basehart may currently be seen in their production of Decision Before Dawn. And remember next week on Suspense, Mr. Joseph Cotton in Carnival. This is the CBS Radio Network. 
Thank you for joining us at 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We try to alternate weeks with two episodes of Escape one week, followed by two episodes of Suspense the following week. New episodes of 1001 Tales of Escape and Suspense are available every Sunday at noon Eastern Time. We always appreciate reviews. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.